0: This is day five of the 2022 Palm Springs Bible School. Our second period teacher is Brother Dev Ramtram. His general topic is the whole duty of man. Today's topic is fear and obey God. Brother Dev. Well, the last class, it's always a little bit sad, isn't it? But at the same time, we look forward to seeing our homes, seeing our loved ones back home. So there's that to balance things out, right? So we will start then at the beginning of chapter 10. At the beginning of chapter 10, we have written, dead flies caused the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. That's hard for us to relate to because you think of leaving some jurgens on a saucer in your bathroom, and if a fly fell in it, nothing would happen. But in those days, when ointment was made, the way it was made, if a fly fell in, there would be rapid deterioration and it would smell pretty bad, pretty quickly. So something that was intended to make you smell good would actually not have that effect. And what he's saying is this. Just like that little fly falling into a vat or a container of ointment can make the whole thing smell bad, so a little folly, and the revised version says so doth a little folly outweigh wisdom and honor. Okay? Now, we have in our community the cult of the speaker. And it's something we need to be on guard against because speakers are not different to us. Speakers have as big a circus in their personal lives as you do in yours. There is as much brokenness, there is as much challenge, sometimes even more. Because they're a speaker, who are they going to tell their problems to? You're a speaker, you're supposed to be da, 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 whatever comes after that in the ellipsis, right? The fact of the matter is this the only difference between a speaker and everyone else is they're up there speaking to you about something they've done a little bit of study on. It's not that they've lived it. It's not that they've achieved it. It's not that their life is a spiritual cut above yours. Don't put anyone on a pedestal, because it's a part of us that is ready to bury that person beneath the pedestal as soon as they show their humanity, their weakness, their frailty, their inconsistencies, their hypocrisies, their play-acting, their problems, their challenges, their difficulties. When we put people on a pedestal, you know the effect it has on us? We don't have to listen to them. Because that brother, that is, he's, he's, he's up there spiritually. He can do those things, but, but I, I can't live like that. I can't do that. I can't live the way he's asking me to. But when that brother is looking at you at eye level, not elevated, not some kind of higher life form, then it's more uncomfortable for you because then it's just somebody who's just like you telling you what scripture says and then we we can't ignore it by saying well he's a spiritual person up there and i'm not then we have to take it on board and say well he's struggling and i am struggling and all he's telling me is what the word of god says and i really don't want to hear this right now because it hurts So we don't put them on pedestals. The other thing is this. I have been at gatherings where a prominent brother has walked away from the truth and announced he no longer believes in the Bible. He's not even sure if God exists. Two or three families were in shock for the rest of that fraternal weekend because they were so close to this brother. They looked up to him so much. He was so valued and treasured by them that when he made that move, their world fell apart. And no one's world should fall apart because someone makes a mistake. The other thing is this. Because you find a dead fly in somebody's ointment, does that mean that they were worthless and that who they were was rubbish and that everything you learned from them was garbage and that you can now throw them on the rubbish dump of those who are the rejected Uh, And uh, and non-entities in the truth? No. That only happens if we are foolishly putting people on a pedestal. If we don't, then we accept the fact that people have flaws. And things will fall apart. And sometimes they'll fall apart in a shameful way. If you were to uncover my head, this bald head of mine, and look inside it, you would run as far away as you could run. You would. And if I did that to you, I might have the same reaction too. So let's accept that what we are made of is broken. It's faulty. It fails. And in spite of all that, be encouraged by each other out of the word without putting anyone on a pedestal. And when somebody comes to tell you about the fly they discovered in brother or sister X's ointment, you need to have a quiet word with them and say, look, she helped me a lot when I was going through my marriage problems. And you may have just found something else out about her private life, but that does not reduce the value that that sister has to me. So I would thank you to not be talking about that with people. Right? You know, there's telephone. And then there's telechristadelphian. <laughs> and telechristadelphian spreads bad news faster than a telephone ever did. And we need, to, we need to be ashamed of that and do something about it. So a little folly. doesn't even have to be big. A little folly can destroy someone's reputation completely. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, the place of strength. The Lord Jesus is sitting at his Father's right hand. You turn to the right and you you confer with the person who's on your right. So for a wise man, wisdom is something that he values highly. But there are people who are the opposite of that. They're not in this room. They're not people who believe. They're people who are in the world. Now, we're going to drop way down in chapter 10. And we'll get to the end of the chapter. And just look at it briefly. Very, very briefly. And this is for me this is what I was doing when I was corrected gently by a brother who pulled me up short. Verse 20. Curse not Donald Trump. <laughs> no, not in your thought. Curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. All right. So that's the king, that's the president, that's whatever. But what about each other? Do we badmouth our brothers and sisters that we disagree with or dislike or feel hurt by or insulted by? Do we do that? Well, what this is saying is is, is don't do that. It's not a good thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. Gossip, badmouthing, these are things that we do in a state of mind that is less than spiritual. And the more that we gossip, the more we make other people's faults, failings, and, and inconsistencies the matter of our conversation, the more we're trying to hide our own from ourselves and from other people. And so the, so the point is that we do what we can to not do that and to remind each other not to do that likewise. We all know the one person who all that they do is gossip. It's as if that's who they've become. They are gossip from, 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 from top to toe. They come at you and have something. You know, what, <laughs> brother such and such is having an affair. Did you know that? I just found out. Poor sister such and such. Isn't that terrible? Right? And some people keep a secret. This is how they keep it. They only tell one person at a time. <laughs> By limiting it to one person, they're keeping the secret. So, I mean, these are silly things. But they can, they can burn people's lives down to the ground. And tongue can become a fire that destroys, James tells us. So we, we have to be mindful of that. We all have it in us, especially if we nurse a grudge against someone else, for whatever reason. We can, we can take delight in their demise, in their, in their failings, and in those times when they they fall and skin their knees. All right, then. Don't curse the king. And let's be careful what we say about each other. Now, verse, 11, verse, verse 1 of chapter 11 says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you shall find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. There, there are two main ways of interpreting that. And the one way is this, be generous, be generous. Be generous to all kinds of people in all kinds of ways because you don't know when your life is going to need someone else's generosity to help you and to look after you. And that's just one valid way of looking at it. Now another way has to do, <laughs> this is interesting, when I read this I thought, oh, never thought of it that way. It's about what you invest in financially. Right? So there are brethren who have put all of the money they had into some technology stock, which they thought was going to turn them into gazillionaires, only to find that it, it turned them into nothing heirs. Right? And they, and they lost everything. They lost everything. And so what this is saying, that interpretation uh, goes this way, is invest in diverse things, not just in the one kind of investment. I choose the previous interpretation, but that is still useful advice. It could be seen that that's what it could be saying to you. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, the old saying goes. Because if you drop the basket, no more eggs, right? It says, if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. And you look at that and you think, that's like saying, wherever you go, there you are. Does that mean anything? Wherever you go, there you are. Where the tree fell, there it fell. Well, the, the, the sensible sort of way of looking at it is, you know, things happen, and we just have to live with what has happened. We can't unhappen some of the things that happen in our lives in our kids' lives, and our grandkids' lives. Things happen, and we have, to, we have to address life with that thing that has happened. You know, sometimes things happen, and we want to pretend they didn't really happen and act like they didn't happen and just look past them and, you know, squint one eye and keep the other eye open so we can't see the thing over there that has happened. Well, what this thing is saying is, well, if a tree's fallen, then there it is. It's fallen. It's not upright like it once was. If something has happened in somebody's life, well, that's now a part of their life. Now, for our friends in the truth, when they fall on hard times, we're happy to go in and help. But when they fall into shameful sins, that become public. What do we tend to do? And I should point out to Jeff that that phone that's ringing, it's outside of this room. It's not somebody in here when something shameful happens in someone else's life, then the effect it can have on us is we walk away from them. We say, you know what? That's disgusting. I can't believe you did a thing like that. When they need us the very most in their time of shame, of loss, of embarrassment, of humiliation, that's when we feel like we want to walk away from them. Now, I'm not saying that you sit with your friend and say, you know what? Now you've, you've gotten this disease because of your behavior. Um, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not what, is, what we're required to do. Say, look, I, I, I can't understand how you got yourself in this place, but I want you to know I'm still here to help and to encourage you, and I'm especially here to to walk beside you to bring you back to the truth if that's what you need me to do. As Christadelphians, we sometimes feel as if that person's sin is going to splash up on me and I'm going to be defiled by it. And it's not the way things work. You already have your own splashing up going on inside of you already as it is. But if we, if we are willing to work with and to Continue to encourage those that have fallen into shameful sin like the tree that has fallen and there it is. Now you've got to contend with that thing as it is, not as you thought it ought to be. Then we can do a lot of good. A lot of good. One of the saddest things to see in an ecclesial situation is a sister or a brother who has sinned in a public way, come to the meeting. No one sitting beside them at all. The whole row emptied, really, or people sitting at the ends of the row rather than interacting with them or engaging with them. Because we think they don't deserve our friendship given what they've done. But think about us and the fact that a man gave his life for us With all our faults, all our failings, everything that we think and say and do that is wrong. He saw the fallen tree that we were and still gave his life for us on a tree that we might have hope. And so we can look at this little workaday expression and draw out of it dealing with the things that happen with common sense and spiritual wisdom as opposed to ignoring them or avoiding them or running away from them. Goes on and he says, verse 5, As thou knowest not what is the way of the wind, you don't know where it's going and what it's doing, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, Even so, thou knowest not the work of God who does all. So, see how that theme keeps coming through? It's not to make us think, oh, well, I could never understand God, therefore I could never have a relationship with him. It's intended to give us the sense that I can't work out exactly what he's doing when things are happening or when he's allowing them to happen. But I know I'm in his hand, he loves me he loves my family i need to trust in him and hold on to him as i go through this roller coaster ride this bungee cord jump that my life can sometimes be you don't know what he's doing but hold on to him in the morning sow your seed in the evening don't don't withhold your hand keep working for thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. So it's using the the, the language of crops and agriculture, but what it's saying is this, be busy, be doing. If We apply it to ecclesial life, be busy doing things in the truth. We've got a fearful problem happening all around the Western world. It is getting harder and harder to get young men and women to help in the ecclesia and the work it has to do. We're finding you'll ask 10 people if they would do a particular kind of work and only one will say yes. And what's the reason you're hearing? I'm, I'm, I'm too busy. I have this that. I have all these things on the go. Now That has always been the case. We have always been too busy. Every one of us, for every generation. But we've made the Ecclesia a priority. We've made the work of the Ecclesia an important thing that we do. And we've got to pray and try to have conversations with our young brothers and sisters many of whom are in their 40s, some even older than that, to get involved and to keep involved. Now, a part of the problem could be the sense that, well, I don't, I don't feel like I get anything out of the ecclesia and the Bible class and the afternoon lectures and the Bible schools and the study weekends. I don't get anything out of that. Do you see how that attitude is the same as my friend who left his wife? I'm not happy. I don't get happiness out of all that. I don't feel like I'm entertained or, you know, I I don't get something out of it. So why should I be involved in that work? My friend had terrible regrets about the breakup of his marriage after. We don't want to stand at the judgment seat and have to answer to the Lord about those things we didn't do and could have. So let's get involved. Now you're involved, but for your children and your grandchildren, encourage them to get involved. Now, I don't know if there'll be success. I don't know if things will suddenly turn around, but we can still make some kind of an effort. We've got three daughters. Two were baptized, one left. One still in and very, very committed. And one never was baptized. Now, as a, as a dad and mom, you torture yourself with those things. Could have done this, should have done that, should have been home more, ta da da, da, da da less speaking around the place, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? It happens to families where everybody stayed at home all the time too. It just happens. And we don't know why, and we don't know how, but we know God is still at work. Where there is life, there is still hope. He's still at work. Go further in that chapter. It says in verse 7, Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness. For they shall be many, all that cometh is vanity. And let's not be smitten by that statement as if it's a terrible pessimistic thing. What he's saying is, work while you can while you've got strength, while you can still see. Be busy. You're going to have some health issue days where you're not going to be able to do those things. So do them while you can. Look, you're all in a Bible school. How many Bible schools have got as many people in their 80s, in their 70s, in their 90s, and I should say in their first century as this school has? How many? But you're all here. Here. That's an amazing feat of determination, of decisiveness, of commitment, of love. That's what that all is. It was was a big bit of work that you did to come here. Now, somebody who is 50 has no clue what it was like for you to walk from your room on the second floor to the elevator or down the stairs To go and open a door. They don't get it. They don't understand. To open a door is a big deal when you're 80 and have terrible arthritis. They don't realize that. So the work you've put into this school, only God knows. Just to be here. To be busy at it. And to listen. And to love. And to care. Right? And to notice things. I mean, Auntie Tony looked at my shirt and she said, that has embroidery on it. I said, oh yeah, is that what that is? (laughs) She said, where'd you get that from? Cuba. Cuba? Why'd you get that from Cuba? She said, I thought Fidel was getting better, but he didn't. Talking about Cuba. That's a lot of thoughts from one person's brain all connected together. Very complex thinking. So don't underestimate your old brothers and sisters. There's a lot going on there you don't realize. But there's a lot more that they struggle with in the way of pain and so on. And yet, in spite of all that, they are here. They are here. Old Brother Paul from California is here. And you will never hear him complain once about his chronic pain, not once. He will never say a word about that. He's just so glad to be here. What an inspiration. That's the greatest thing that you have right now. When you think there's nothing you can do or give, you are an inspiration to people who are younger than you. There are years, yes, where there's all these struggles. And that's where we need to be tender and understanding and aware of what our brothers and sisters go through at this age. Then he says, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Rejoice in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. And walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know, you need this to balance you out. Know that all these things, for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. All right? Now, that's not to terrify young people. It's to just say, don't run the full course of the world that you're in. Don't do whatever the world does all the time like them. Remember, you have a higher, a higher calling than they do. You're a brother in Christ. You're a sister in Christ. Rejoice in your youth and make it something that you do useful things with. We've got some young people that are with us in the audience this morning. They were here last night volunteering to sell food, cakes, and so on for the good of their school. Isn't that wonderful? They're doing exactly what Scripture is is guiding them to do, something useful and worthwhile with their youth. It's a wonderful thing, really wonderful thing. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Therefore, verse 10 remove sorrow from your heart, and put away evil from your flesh. So what he's saying is this. There is evil that we can involve ourselves in that is harmful to us, harmful to our flesh, harmful to us as human beings. He says, put those things away from you because in this world, youth and the prime of life our vanity. And he's not saying that your, your time of life is useless and worthless. He's saying the tendency of this world and youth in it is to get involved in things that are useless. But that's not what we see with the young people that are here who were here last night and continue with us. They are an inspiration to us. You as old brothers and sisters, look at them and it gives you joy to see young people busy in the truth. It's a lovely thing. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw nigh when you'll say, look, I have no pleasure in these days. The sun, the light, the moon, the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And then he describes in very poetic language what it's like to, to grow old. This stuff, as it is, was never intended in this age, in this world, to last forever. People try. They try with plastics and the replacement of, of joints, of, 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 of body parts, of, of organs. They try to extend life, and it'll only go so far. It won't take you on and on forever. You know what? I would not want to be two hundred years old with the mind I have, the brain I have. Would you want that? No. I want something better than what's in there. And it'll only come from the Lord one day. And so so he says, Remember, there are days that come where you say, I have no pleasure in them. Well, you have the pleasure of the gospel, of the hope of eternal life. But getting up, sitting down, mobility, all these things become much more difficult. That's what it's saying. It's talking about the practical reality of the aging process that we have to be mindful of. And then he goes on and he talks about, in verse 3, in the days when the keepers of the house shall tremble. Now he's using the image of a house that's starting to decay. He's talking about the pillars of the house that start to tremble. Well, what's that? Our legs. Those strong muscles that start to become very frail and they start to tremble. right? And then he, he, he goes from there and he, he talks about these strong men which shall bow themselves. Could be our, could be our back, could, 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 be, could be our arms, could be our legs again. But he's talking about areas of strength of the body that aren't strong anymore. And then he talks about the grinders. And the grinders cease because they are few. I have a Manitoulin Island tooth in my mouth. What does that mean? I gave a study weekend in Manitoulin Island and had a breakfast at a brother and sister's house and chomped on something that was hard. For two or three months after, I ignored it being a man and all and treated myself with salt water which did nothing but keep swelling down. One day I was feeling around the tooth and it was split right down the middle. So I went in to the dentist and she she didn't even say a word. She just looked at me. And I said, I know. I should have come to you when it was just cracked. I didn't come. I didn't foolishly. She said, yes. And now here's your choice. $500 for a plate with a tooth sticking out of it or $5,000 for a tooth we're going to put in on a post. I said, well, I will now have a false tooth, thank you. So if you hear a lot of shushing and shishing going on as I speak to you, it's not because I'm Welsh and talking like Sean Connery, for instance. It's because I have a false tooth. So my grinders aren't what they used to be. Be careful what you eat, by the way. Poor brother and sister would be mortified if I actually told them. So the grinders, the sound of the grinders is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of a bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. So what's he saying? The inconsistency of our old age experience. We can't hear what our son is telling us. We can't hear singing, but a bird goes, Cheep, in the morning, we're up like a flash. Isn't that the truth? And it's so weird, but it's what happens. So this is a description that is so modern, isn't it? About what happens to us. Now this we already know as older people. This is for the young people to pay attention to. What he's doing is he's starting off by saying, enjoy your youth, but let me tell you how it's going to go. How it's going to go, right? So when this young man finds this beautiful young girl with her velvety soft skin and so on, her grinders are one day going to fall out. <laughs> the pillars aren't going to be so strong. So it's got to be something beyond what she looks like that, are, that, that, that draws them together. Right? And so he goes on and he says, also when they shall be afraid of that which is high and fear shall be in the way. So you're walking along, old brother or sister, and you see you have to climb three steps. Now any of the rest of us just fly up there like goats. Yeah. You are taking your time and assessing in your mind, can I make that first step? Can I keep my balance? Am I going to falter? And if I fall, oh no, I could go to the hospital with a broken hip. This, this is the reality of this stage of life. And the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. So, so, So what he's saying is this. One day you will die. There will be people mourning your death. And that's reality. No, it's not a thing we run around in terror of. That's how people do it in America. You hide death away. You hide, not you. The society. You hide away death. You hide away old age. You put it far from you. As opposed to realizing, no, 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 no. Just accept it. Work with it. Celebrate this stage of life too. It's even more important than youth. And he goes on and he says, or ever the silver cord be loosed or the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern." What he's saying is this, all these useful things have a moment where they break. You have a lamp that gives light hanging on a silver cord. It's made of gold, precious thing. All you need is one link to snap. Done. Smashed. And he's saying, you can't predict when you are going to die. That day will come one day. So before it happens, think about what you need to be doing for your creator. So that means old brother or sister. You're still a source of light till the day you die. You're still a a source of the water of life till the day that you die. All the way through to the day that you die You are a useful person. You are. You may not have thought you were. Our society doesn't make you think you are, but boy does scripture make you see the usefulness you have in your old age. And Then he says in verse 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. The spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Now, you have a wisdom conditioned by the acceptance of those things that the people and the rulers of this world don't have because they will not accept those realities. We accept them and say, okay, this is going to happen. Let me keep busy while I can be. If if some major shameful event doesn't happen in my life, which could happen today, tomorrow, any day, I might have 10, 15 years of speaker's life in me Then I cannot get on a plane again. I just can't. I won't have the strength for it. Or the kingdom will be here. So assess where you're headed and how can I keep busy and do something of value wherever I might be at whatever stage of life. Verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. And now it's not like a whip crack of pain and sorrow to hear. Now it's, yeah, I think I can accept that. Life outside of God is useless. And we do get to an end where we no longer are of any use. But while we're alive, in God's hand, there's much that we can do. And remember, the most powerful thing a human being can do for another human being is to pray for them, to pray for them. Every one of you has, an, has stories about how God has answered your prayers. A very kind brother spoke with me in the break and said, look, I get what you said about the judgment seat, but I want to point this out to you. If every day we are praying for God's forgiveness for our sins, there will not be a scroll full of all the things we have done wrong that will be read out to us. Because according to the psalm, as far as the east is from the west, our sins will be forgiven. We still have to be accountable for everything that we've done, but we can hope positively that we'll have life in God's kingdom because of the forgiveness of our sins. I think that was a nice way to balance out those comments. Verse 9, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. It's an old man who wrote this. An old man who'd made mistakes. His heart had been drawn away by foreign wives. He'd made mistakes and had so much and realized it was all useless apart from faith. So what we are now bearing down upon, the destination we're about to arrive at is not just an additional afterthought like some commentators see it. It is the full totality and the sum, the importance of everything he has said before and all he has realized. And what we need to value above all else and not see Ecclesiastes as a a negative diatribe against life. It's a celebration of life in God's truth. It's a warning against a life of heedlessness of what is important to God, so that we really value our lives and value what we can do in it that will both make us happy and that will honor him. Verse 11, the words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one shepherd So a shepherd gives nails to a group of men who go and they fasten them in a wall for people to hang things on. But it starts with a goad, a sharp stick that was used to move an animal forward and prod it in the right direction. So that's what the words of the wise are like. They're both like goads in our search for truth, but then they provide nails for us to hang things on, our thoughts, our hopes, our dreams, the things we anticipate and look forward to, those are the nails. But you know, there is, there is someone who is both a wise man and a shepherd. His words act as goads to us, and he's like a nail for us. Let's take a quick look then at Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah 22. Now we're going to look at verses 20 to 25. Now look what it says. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle and I will commit thy government into his hand and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place and he shall be for a throne of glory to his father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house. The offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity, from the vessels of cups even to all the vessels of flagons. That day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fail, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord hath spoken it. So there's a nail that is going to be cut down and removed. But then there's another nail upon which the glory of God will hang. And of course you can think in terms of, well, those leaders of Israel, those leaders who failed along the way. who were not faithful men. Nails that people hung things on that fell out of the wall or were broken down and cut out by people like Assyrians and Babylonians and Romans. And then there is that sure nail that we hang our hopes on, even the Lord Jesus Christ. The words of the wise, the Bible gives us something to hang our hopes on. And the Bible tells us primarily about the Lord Jesus Christ from beginning all the way through to the end. He is both a goad and a nail. He is both the wise man and the one shepherd of us, his sheep. And further, my son, be admonished of making... Many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. And that too is true. We need to enjoy life. Celebrate life. But at the same time recognize that study is important but we cannot be doing that 24 hours a day every day. So verse 13 he then sums it all up. And some commentators say ah this is just a This is an additional note that was put in there at some point in time. No, it's not. It's the whole point. This is the whole point. Look what he says. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole of man. Now that word duty is added in there. So what this is saying is this, our whole life has to be colored, has to be tinged with this decision to fear God and to keep his commandments. And when we fail to seek forgiveness, fear God and keep his commandments, that's the whole of man. So what he's saying is this. The whole of man is not money, it's not women, it's not power, it's not land, it's not gardens and pools, it's not horses and armies. The whole of man is duty. We were created for duty, for service. For giving back to God in gratitude and rejoicing in all of his blessings to us. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now, now what is that to do? To put us down into a negative frame of mind? No, it's to say this Fear God and keep his commandments. You you know you'll have to do, you'll have to deal with things that you do or say or think that are, well, that are, that are evil. So step away from those things as best you can and fear God. Keep his commandments because that's the whole of what we are to be all about. Now, right now, we do that in fits and starts because we're human and we're faulty and we're mortal. But in God's kingdom, boy, oh, boy, will that be absolutely fulfilled the whole of what we will be will be all about service to God, fearing Him, and keeping His commandments. So, old oh, brothers and sisters, share your experiences. Tell people your stories. Talk about God's hand in your life, what He has done for you, the things that He's answered and helped you with. Pray for your brothers and sisters hold on through these last days and may we all see each other and work with each other in the kingdom of God forever running as fast as you can Tony and flying with eagle's wings never worrying about if you're going to fall or trip or stumble again